how we're in a, at a crossroads within the real estate industry, right? With technology companies coming in and changing the way that the consumer buys homes, right? So um, getting our, our network to really um, focus on, okay, you have this group of clients, right? You have this group, this sphere of clients. How do you continue to be influential to those clients, right? And really focus on, on building and, and, and growing that relationship long-term. You're listening to the Real Estate Sessions podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Risser, General Manager of the U.S. Market for Rate My Agent, a digital marketing platform designed to help great agents leverage the power of verified reviews. You can find out more at ratemyagent.com. Listen in as I interview industry leaders and get their stories and journeys to the world of real estate. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 280 of the Real Estate Sessions podcast. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for telling a friend. Today, once again, I get to stay in the Sunshine State, beautiful, sunny Florida, and I'm going down to the southeast corner. We're going to Miami. And in Miami, I get to talk to Nina Fabri, who is the director of the Business Partnership Group with Home Services of America. Her role is is putting together the right partnerships in the uh, real estate space, whether it's tech or services, uh, to, to bring the most value to the agents inside the Home Services of America family. And I can't wait to get started. Nina, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Bill. And thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure. Yeah. I am really excited to chat with you. You know, we're actually kind of working together and, and, and you know, you've done some great things with Berkshire Hathaway Home Services. And I, I it's just a, a pleasure to kind of get a little bit of a behind the scenes with you and in, in your life. Um, as you you know, this podcast is a lot about you and your story. Uh, and then, of course, we're going to talk about the business as well. So the, the first thing I, I always start with is uh, that is is where you where you live and work and where you grew up and. And I know you're in Miami. I'm across the co- uh, the state from you on the other coast in, in uh, St. Pete. But are you a native of South Florida? No, I'm actually not. I've, I've lived in Miami for uh, many years now, but I'm originally from Nicaragua. Oh, okay. And um, I was born in a, in a very tumultuous time uh, of Nicaragua. I picked great timing, you know, wait for a civil war. And then I was born. Oh, <laughs> so. In the, in the late 70s, early 80s, Nicaragua went through a communist revolution, mm-hmm. very similar to what happened with uh, Fidel Castro in Cuba. And my family was uh, part of the uh, Somoza regime and uh, Daniel Ortega and the Sandinistas ousted Somoza. Mm-hmm. And so we, um, we, have to, we had to leave the country um, very quickly. Uh, in fact, my my grandparents uh, were the first to leave, and they moved to Miami. And little by little, we all trickled into Miami in the in the mid '80s. I moved with my parents to Canada for a couple years, and then Mexico for uh, a couple more years, uh, Italy, and uh, we finally were able to get asylum into the United States thanks to Ronald Reagan. But I lived a year apart during that time because, you know, it was very different immigration policies, right. To what we see today. Right. right. And, um, my parents were able to get in and so was my younger brother, but for some reason they said no to me for about a year. And so I lived with my uncle and my aunt in, in a different country. And finally, I guess they looked at me and they said, you know, she's trouble. We're not letting her in. (laughs) 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 And so I had to wait. Um, and so I lived apart from them, um, 
uh, for that year. And then finally, in, in the mid 80s, I was able to get in and join my family. It was it was an incredible experience. You know, I went to for to school in four different countries by the time I was 10. But that could have been that could have gone a couple of different ways that could have gone in a very kind of really rough negative way. Or were you able to kind of make, you know, turn that into a positive, you know, th- those are those different experiences have helped you moving forward. It made me who I am today. So I wouldn't yeah. change it. Right. It, yeah. And yes, there was challenges, obviously, you know, working. Right. Uh, I only spoke Spanish. So, you know, moving to different countries, it was a little difficult with the language. And so I got to learn different languages. I got to learn different cultures, political experiences. Right. And and for me, I was a kid, you know, and uh, my, my parents were very good about sheltering me. Right. About what we were going through. Right. And um, I just wanted to eat candy and play. <laughs> and I have the cavities to prove it. <laughs> yeah. You so, wanted to be a kid. You wanted to be a kid. Yeah. I was just being a kid. And, you yeah. know, for me, it was okay. We have a new adventure. You know, when, when we moved to the States, it was a very proud moment uh, for, for me. I remember feeling very excited about moving to the United States and telling my friends at school in Mexico, oh, I'm moving to the United States. And they were all like, wow, I hear the that in the United States, the cities are made of gold. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, wow, <laughs> you know, as a, as a young child, you don't really yeah. know. Right. Right. Um, what I, what I didn't realize. And I, I didn't know until I didn't realize till years later, what they meant was it's, it's the country of opportunity, right? You come here and you start from nothing and it's up to you. You can be whoever you want in the United States. And that's why my family decided, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to live in Mexico. We're not going to live in Canada. We're not going to live in Nicaragua. We're going to be in the United States. And they made that sacrifice so that my generation could have better opportunities. Yeah. Miami is quite the melting pot. You know, is there, is there a Nicaraguan community that there is everyone left Managua and went to Miami. Okay. (laughs) Okay, (laughs) So so there's a whole, you know, slew of restaurants. Next time you're in Miami, I'll have to take you to have some carne asada. I'm in. I'm in. I'm not there. Um, so let's let's talk about Miami a little bit. First of all, I've only I've only been there one time since we've lived in Florida, uh, and we were only there you know, like for an afternoon. So we had lunch and we were able to see a couple of sites and things. It's there's got to be these misconceptions that you're constantly having to say no. That's not Miami. What what's your number one, you know that that number one pet peeve about what people think about Miami? You know, I I've worked with a lot of international buyers through through my real estate career. I'd say the biggest pet peeve is probably uh, Miami is a party city mm. or Miami's dangerous. Okay. Those are the two. When I was, I, at one point, I was doing a lot of business with uh, Asian clients and I was going to China and I was selling to Chinese investors the, the Miami dream, right? Why mm-hmm. do you want to live in Miami? And their biggest objection was Miami is not safe. And that is so wrong in so many ways. Um, so I think that's a very big misconception that people have. We, we get to thank uh, Don Johnson and <laughs> Miami Vice for that maybe, right? It's so funny. They always said Miami Vice, Miami Vice. I was like, no, it's not Miami Vice anymore. That's a show. <laughs> it's TV. Make believe. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> they right. still think it's Miami Vice. Yeah. You know, there's one thing I discovered in doing some research, which is really my favorite part of doing the podcast, and that um, that you're a part of a community called Fisher Island, and I've never heard of it. And it's, but it's right there in the middle of Miami. Can you can you tell us about that? Sure. So Fisher Island is uh, right 
literally five minutes from Miami Beach. Uh, it's a 217-acre private island where you can only access it through a ferry or a private yacht. And once you get to the island, uh, you have to be a member of the private club of Fisher Island. And membership is about $250,000 annually, wow. plus the cost of living and everything else, right? So you have to, have a, you have to be a, a high net worth or ultra high net worth individual in order to live on Fisher Island. It's got, once you get there, everyone rides around in their golf carts. It's a lot of fun because you see Hummer golf carts, you had you see Bentley golf carts, you see all kinds of golf carts, right? Everybody right. gets, it's fun. There's seven restaurants. There's a three mile private beach. There is a golf course, tennis course, spa. It's, it's uh, a millionaire playground. Okay. Wow. That's, that's Fisher Island. And so okay. I was, um, I was very fortunate to start my real estate career on Fisher Island. And it was very, uh, it was just serendipity and, and, and good fortune, I think. Well, let's, let's talk about that. Um, getting to that career of real estate. Most of my guests, it is not their first job. It's not even something they're thinking about, right? As they're going through school for you was real estate on your radar. No, okay. <laughs> it was not. You, unlike every you, other guest of yours. It was completely accidental. What did you do before? So I, um, I had just graduated with my business degree and I was preparing for law school. Okay. I was getting ready to go and take my LSAT for law school. And um, while, while I was in college, I went to, to school full-time and I worked full-time in another industry. And I had decided that I wanted to start getting into something that was law-related. And um, a friend of mine connected me to this team. It was uh, two gentlemen working on Fisher Island that had a brokerage there. And they were very successful within Fisher Island. They had about 50% of the real estate market there. Wow. So they dominated the market. I mean, they were, they were in their mid thirties, just, um, just killing it on Fisher Island. They were making a couple million dollars a year in sales and they were looking for someone to help them with the agreements and the, you know, the legal processes and, and their, and their front office, because they were just so busy with the real estate side of things. Mm -hmm. And so I, I started working with them and just, um, you know, I was, I was working on my LSAT, right. And bringing up my LSAT score at nights and working during the day with, with them at the real estate office. Um, at that time it was called the VPP and it was, uh, Robert and, uh, and Don. And within six months, I knew that this was something I wanted to do, right. I wanted to go out and get my real estate license and start doing what Robert and Don were doing. And so I went to them and I said, will you let me be part of your group if I go out and get my, my license? And they said, we'd love, we'd love for you to join us within the team. And so that's what I did. Took me a couple of weeks. I took my real estate license and, um, and then they let me join the team. And, you know, I, I had no idea what I was getting myself into bill <laughs> as usual. I bit more than I could chew, <laughs> but I figured it out. You know? Yeah. Was, that might uh, be the definition of serendipity, right? Because they're, <laughs> There are lots of agents who say, how do I get into the luxury market? You know, and, and, uh, and a lot of times it is really absolutely right place, right time. Right. And, and recognizing, I think it's important to recognize the opportunities. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And not, and not be afraid to take that, that plunge. For me, yeah. it was, it was scary because, you know, I only had so much savings. Right. And mm -hmm. 
I was I was on a path to go and, and get into cyber law, which is, you know, in the in the late 90s, that was something that was just starting. Right. So I thought, well, I'm going to have a niche, right? And I'm going to get into that. And and then I took this path on real estate and I didn't know if I was going to be successful or not. And I couldn't, you know, I, I was all on my own, right? I couldn't depend on anybody. Right. And so I had to really, I had to make it happen. How does Ocean Insiders come into the picture? So after I joined um, this team, I became one of the top listing agents within the Fisher Island market, and we created a partnership. So I, I became a partner. And so we changed the name of the company to Ocean Insiders because the VPP was really just the guy's last names, and I wanted to be part of it. So the 3 um, we became Ocean Insiders. Nice. So there's there's that little attorney side of you. It did stick with you a little bit. <laughs> so you took care of yourself and made sure that everything is in the right place. That's good. Well, how long did, how long were you with that company? I was uh we started the company in 2004, 2005. So I I went off and I did a couple other uh projects and things once I got my business rolling and left the company in 20 2017. Is that then how you connected or why why you connected with Berkshire Hathaway Home Services? I, I connected uh, another serendipitous moment <laughs> in my life. <laughs> but but um, understanding the moment and taking and, and charging ahead is so important. Yeah. Uh, well, I took some time off. Um, so in, in 2003, uh, I started uh, a, a property concierge company on Fisher Island. And um, somebody uh, that was a mentor of mine early on said to me, you need to find a niche and fill it in order to be successful in real estate. Mm -hmm. And so the niche was, I saw the market on Fisher Island. There's about 850 families there and only 10% of them live there full time. So there's a lot of absentee owners Mm -hmm. that need uh, property management services, right? Right. And so I started uh, this concierge property management service and, uh, and then that turned into rentals, right? And then the rentals eventually became sales. So once I got that machine going and it was a, you know, well-oiled machine, then I started focusing on other aspects of my career. What does it look like with Berkshire Hathaway? Where do you have that first conversation? In, uh, in some of the projects that I started working on was um, um, bringing um, Asian investors into Miami. Mm-hmm. And that was something that I started in, in 2013, 2014. That was something that uh, Don and I actually started from Ocean Insiders. We kind of piggybacked off of Ocean Insiders, but then did other things uh, with other brokerages. And so part of that was to build a Chinatown community here in Miami. And so we teamed up with uh, the mayor's office, the Beacon Council, Miami International Airport. And, um, and then we started looking for uh, an Asian association and uh, landed with ARIA, which is the Asian Real Estate Association of America. It's the largest real estate association that focuses on home ownership for the AAPI uh, and Asian Pacific um, uh, demographic here in the United States. It's got over 17,000 members and chapters in pretty much every single state. At that point, there was no chapters here in Miami. And so I myself and a few other leaders here in the real estate industry went to ARIA leadership in Chicago at one of their conferences. And we sat down with them and we said, and we laid out the vision, right, of creating more home ownership here in Miami. 
And they said, yes, they said yes to us. They said, okay, we, we will support a Miami chapter. Wow. And so it was through, it was very exciting. Yeah, that's um, very cool. It was a very exciting time. We were able to have our, um, the first and largest Asian real estate convention, thanks to ARIA and their support. And so through that journey, I met a lot of different leaders in the industry, including uh, leadership at Berkshire Hathaway Home Services. And so it was through that position that I ended up at Berkshire Hathaway Home Services. Wow. Let's let's talk more about them. It's it's a very impressive network. Can can you can you explain the connection? And I'm not sure everybody understands this, but there there's Berkshire Hathaway and the home services part have come together. How did this all come together? Sure. So home services is the real estate arm of Berkshire Hathaway and its operating companies. And uh, home services has many many companies that are focused on on home ownership services, including brokerage, mortgage franchising, title, escrow, insurance, and relocation services. So Berkshire Hathaway and uh, Home Services and Real Living are the franchise side of home services. But then there's a whole slew of of owned companies that they've actually gone out and purchased, like Ebby Holiday, Long & Foster, Intero, so forth and so on. And so it's it's, it's an, an incredible company to work for. I was invited to um, to one of their alignment sessions at Berkshire Hathaway Home Services, and that's where leadership gets gets together and shares culture and just you know thought leadership. And I was just so blown away by it. I said, I need to be part of this. Yeah, and that's how I joined. I found an article that Chris Stewart, uh, who is the CEO of Berkshire Hathaway Home Services. And he was talking about a topic that I'm so passionate about, and that is that NER report that comes out every year that shows that when asked if if you, would you work with your the, the person who helped you buy your home, would you work with them when you went to sell it? The number is staggering near 90% that say, yes, we would. But how many actually do is now in the teens. It's I've watched this get bigger and bigger over the last decade. And, and Chris actually gave it a name. He, he calls it the real estate loyalty gap. I love that. Can, can you talk about, you know, his thoughts and the process that, you know, that whatever you can share about that inside the world of, of Berkshire Hathaway Home Services? Isn't that that incredible? Think oh, about that. Staggering. Yeah. You know, it's just, it's a such a problem in the industry. It really is. I, I feel like people are so focused on the next client that they don't focus on the current client, right? Oh. And, and that's why you have this problem. And Chris is a, a trailblazer when it comes to this, right? And so he's, his background is is a in, very different from most people in the industry. He started at Oracle, right, um, as uh, as, a, as an account executive there, and his background is bioscience. He majored in that at Texas A and M, and so he looks at things in a in a much more analytical way, right? As a bioscientist, he studied ecosystems, and now has taken that experience, right and developed a real estate ecosystem concept for Berkshire Hathaway Home Services called the IQ system. And the the synthesis of the IQ system is how do we develop, sustain a compelling, influential relationship with the consumer, right? Through the real estate experience. Mm -hmm. And so he's, uh, he actually came out with a book, which I highly recommend to, to everybody called the real estate influence, which he co-wrote with Alan Dalton. And for those of you that don't know Alan Dalton, he, you know, 
He's the CEO of Real Living and uh, former CEO of Realtor.com. And so you get you get you get those two together, and it's just an incredible intellectual experience, right? On where the real estate industry is going and how we're in a, at a crossroads within the real estate industry, right? With technology companies coming in and changing the way that the consumer buys homes, right? right? So um, getting our, our network to really um, focus on, okay, you have this group of clients, right? You have this group, this sphere of clients. How do you continue to be influential to those clients, right? And really focus on on building and, and, and growing that relationship long term than just, you know, continually looking for the next lead or the next, uh, you know, the next client. And so the IQ system is a system, it's, it's a training system that teaches each one of our agents how to do that, right? And there's different concepts within the system. And there's also different uh, training programs, depending on where you are in your real estate career. Right. Uh, and it incorporates the technology that Berkshire Hathaway Home Services has and, uh, and, Brit- and brings it all together for, for our agents. Berkshire Hathaway Home Services has this this global footprint. What are some of the advantages that we'll call it a worldview brings to the agents in the U.S.? Is there is there is there something there that helps them? I feel that the world is becoming smaller every day, right? Yeah. yeah. So I, I think that it's important to have a global perspective and understand how to work with international clients, and that's something that we're doing by uh, you know becoming a global company and the the team that's that's. Um, that's behind this initiative is just unstoppable. <laughs> <laughs> they are, they live on an airplane. Yeah. And they're very hyper-focused on that. I, uh, it's very interesting. Now we're having global open houses where, and, and it's through Zoom. Eventually it'll be face-to-face once we can after, you know, COVID subsides. But yeah. now we have global open houses and we bring together agents from France, from New York, from Italy. And we discuss the real estate markets there and how homes are selling and and then showcase right to our agents and our clients these homes and so that global perspective i think is is uh is incredible see let's talk specifically more about your role what what are some of the key characteristics you're looking for when you're putting together a potential partnership with with the company so we always have a um kind of like an alignment type of conversation, right? When we first are speaking to a partner, as, as you know, and it's, it's really identifying, is there cultural synergies, right? It, that's very important for Home Services of America, given that it's relationship with Berkshire Hathaway and, and you know, it's important to have a, a good reputation, good ethics and um, similar pillars to what we have, right? So that that's number one. Number two is I'm looking for technology that's innovative something that's going to help our agents and our brokers compete in a very competitive landscape, right? right? Within the real estate industry. I'd say that's number two. And then number three, do does our partner have the infrastructure to support such a large, ne- large network in terms of customer service, customer support, training, sales team, and so forth and so on. And so those are the three major things. Of course, there's a whole, you know, the whole process takes two to three months to become uh, a partner of home services, but that's just initial conversations and, and what I look and what I look for. Right. Yeah. It's, it was a, it was a, it's a very interesting process. Very, very thorough, very complete. It makes sense that you really do have to protect the brand 
and and more even more importantly your agents right and the and those people that are that are going to be uh, depending on you for these partnerships absolutely and I, I love what i do i think it's it's very strategic what i do and and that's something that i've always loved uh about you know every every initiative that i've done within my career and um, look, talking to different partners or potential partners partners and seeing what's out there, right? What's next? What's hot? What's trending? What's, what's the behavior, right? Within the real estate industry, what are agents looking for? What are, what are brokers looking for? What, what's actually happening, you know, within the real estate industry in terms of technology, right? Having insight into all of those different uh, aspects to me is just fascinating. And I just, I love what I do. You mentioned Aria, you know, which which is a volunteer position, and and the real estate industry is filled with um, opportunities to volunteer. Yet, you know, it's it's not everybody does it. You are a volunteer. <laughs> Tell me why that's so important for you. It's ingrained in my DNA. It's mm. something that I, I I love to give. I'm a I'm a giver just by nature, and I love to help people and. That gratitude that you see in people when you help them, to me, is um, is something that just is near and dear to my heart. When I um, had my business on Fisher Island, I started a, a charity there with one of the members called You and Me Together. And that was my first stint at volunteering. And we, were, um, we had charity events there. And uh, I leveraged that network of you know, high net worth individuals. And we raised a lot of money for impoverished children in uh, South and Central America. And um, that was a wonderful time. And, and I just got hooked. You know, I, I love, I just love that gratitude that you get from, from volunteering. And um, then my, uh, then I went off and I started uh, the Fisher Island 5K, which was another event on Fisher Island. And uh, that was also a lot of fun. Uh, we got to raise a lot of money and help uh, a lot of children that were in need. And so Aria was just a natural journey for me and helping build, right, awareness within Asian markets, not only in the United States, but also in Asia, mm-hmm. um, about the opportunities here in Miami for home ownership. And so we started the Aria chapter and I became president in, um, in 2018. And uh, that, was, that was a lot of fun. I got to travel a lot, meet uh, some incredible people and do a lot of good work. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, but it's, it's a lot of work, too. So, it, it is. It was a full time job. I was going to say, every, yeah, every that, volunteer position I've ever done is a full time job. Yeah, yeah. Hats off. I think that's. I think that's amazing. Um, look, Nina, I've had you here the the time I requested of you, uh, and I want to wrap up with the same final question I've asked every guest since uh, the first episode in 2015, and that is, what one piece of advice would you give a new agent just getting started in the business? I'd say start with the end in sight. How do you want to be known in the industry? Find that niche, which is some, you know, a piece of advice that somebody gave to me and and that's what I did and it worked. Find the niche and fill it. It's going to be hard at first, right? Uh, Right. The real estate, getting into the real estate industry at first, it's hard, but um, it's the hard that makes you great. That's awesome. Nina, if somebody wants to reach out to you, what's the best way for them to do that? You can email me or uh, I'm on LinkedIn, Ninoska Fabry. And um, uh, you can just include my email within the podcast. I will. I'll put in the show notes to that. I'll put a link to Chris's book. 
Uh, so when if you have any, if you really, I think, like I said, I only saw a, a snippet of of his, the way his mind works, and uh, I can't wait to read the book and see what else is going on there. Nina, thank you so much for your time today. I know you're very busy, and uh, and I appreciate uh, you sharing your story. A wonderful story, and I can't wait to work closely with you in the near future. Same here, Bill. It's been wonderful, and thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for listening to The Real Estate Sessions. Please head over to ratethispodcast.com forward slash RE Sessions to leave a review or a rating, and subscribe to The Real Estate Sessions podcast at your favorite podcast listening app. (laughs) 